Welcome back to the Illinois Agronomy Update. I'm your host, Troy Kazire, here at Hertz Farm Management in Genesee, Illinois. And today we have Jason McVicker with us, uh, actually having him, having him back. Uh, uh, this is, I believe, the second time we've, we've visited with you, Jason, on this podcast. Uh, Jason is an agronomist. I'll let him give us his, his official title, but he's an agronomist with Corteva. Um, so why don't you, if you would, Jason, take a couple minutes here, tell us a little bit about your your uh, role there with Corteva and in geography, your cover and that type of thing. You bet. Appreciate it, Troy. Thanks for having me back. Uh, like, like you said, Jason McVicker, I'm a pioneer field agronomist, basically covering along the I-80 corridor from about the Quad Cities to uh, that Morris or Chicagoland area. So get to see quite a bit of uh, different weather patterns, different farming practices, and uh, definitely some different soil types that we're, we're trying to manage out here. Excellent. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to, to join us today and, and kind of visit with us about what you're seeing out there in the field. And, and uh, I think what we'll do to start off with is let's, let's talk a little bit about disease. The fungicide planes have been flying. Things are kind of, kind of, starting to, to, to slack off a little bit on that uh, uh, with, with fungicide applications now, but, but what are you seeing for, uh, we'll start with corn, uh, what are you seeing for disease out there and, and what are your thoughts on, on fungicide this year? You bet. You know, this year, uh, my own experience and then even uh, some of our pioneer reps and growers alike have commented multiple times that uh, everything has looked really, really uh, healthy out there, not seeing a whole lot. But as I've been continually monitoring these fields, we're starting to see uh, gray leaf spots starting to show up. Uh, been starting to see some tar spot pop up in a few areas, not, uh, not widespread, but uh, you know, as I take a look at managing for, for some of those diseases and northern corn leaf blight included, uh, I'm one that I want to try to keep that corn plant as happy as possible from the time we put it in the ground. And the old scout and spray method that uh, we some might have been accustomed to from years past, I'm not a huge fan of that and the fact that I want to be on the preventative side. I, if we're seeing lesions, uh, most of the time that disease has been infecting that plant for uh, 10 to 14 days prior to lesions showing up. So I think uh, being proactive uh, really helps us. And as I travel across the countryside, uh, Iowa and Indiana, we have uh, kind of a sweet spot as far as uh, top end potential crops looking really good and i think we need to do everything we can to protect that uh that potential that we're we're looking at in the field and you know you you kind of alluded to the fact that we're on the uh downhill part of the uh fungicide application and particularly when we're managing tar spot and we've had some uh favorable conditions with uh multiple days or nights of continual leaf wetness uh, we've seen some very positive responses from later applications on corn for uh, managing that particular disease. So we need to keep our foot on the gas and uh, try to do everything we can to, to protect this crop. Yeah, and you, you mentioned tar spot. You said you're seeing it show up in a few different places. Obviously, that's one that over the last few years really 
you know, all, all you have to do is say tar spot, and that, that puts a lot of guys on edge. Um, what's your sense, you know, when you, you, you think, you know, timing is pretty important with tar spot. Um, you know, I, are we at the point where, where it's, it's starting late enough that we're, we're probably going to see minimal yield impact? Uh, it's really hard to tell at this point, but, uh, you know, I, last year we saw some fields and we had some checks were untreated versus treated. And these were, uh, late R3 applications. So typically a little bit, uh, later than what we have been accustomed to doing. And we saw a range anywhere from 15 to 20 bushel bump last year. Now that's one year's worth of studies but uh it really depends on what we get for environment to really help that particular disease kind of explode and uh kind of run rampant out in the field so it's a little bit of a moving target but uh a little hard to predict as well sure sure uh said so you're seeing a little bit of gray leaf spot uh been been seeing a little bit of that myself as i've been been going around some of my fields um what uh, are you are you hearing any reports of of southern rust anywhere? I know that was a, you know southern rust really moved in uh, to to a lot of areas of Illinois last year, and it always depends on those Gulf Stream you know current or the 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 storms coming out of the Gulf I should say not Gulf Stream but um, are you hearing anything about southern rust this year? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, you know obviously that's another one that's on our radar. Uh, you know, talking with my colleagues in the southern part of the state and, and getting some information from them and how quick that disease can uh, really take over a plant in a field. It, it's amazing. And so we're always on the lookout. And I actually found some isolated uh, kind of along that I-80 corridor uh, would have been last week. And one of my counterparts uh, to the southwest of me uh, has also had it confirmed in uh, in his counties as well. So we're we're starting to see it. Haven't seen anything uh, blow up and uh, you know hit the panic button. But I think if we do the right thing, and a lot of these guys are doing uh, you know at least one application, if not two, of uh, fungicides and really being proactive and using uh, those combination mixes with uh, preventative and curative properties to try to help manage it and hopefully keep it at bay. Sure. Yeah, that's one we'll definitely want to keep an eye on. It can flare up pretty quickly and, and uh, you know, and then you, you combine that with other stresses, it can, it can really cause, a, cause an impact. Uh, so let's kind of segue to soybean a little bit. Uh, you know, when we think about some of those diseases like sudden death, white mold, particularly up in your geography, you get north of I-80 uh, there where, where things tend to be a little bit cooler and, and we tend to see some of those things a little bit more commonly. What are you, what are you hearing with soybeans? Uh, soybeans, <clears throat> it's been relatively quiet just from the simple fact that probably more so over the past several years, guys have been proactive and applying a fungicide insecticide application. Um, probably seen uh most consistent uh response from that over the years so guys are continuing to do that but with that being said uh you know the one that you know similar to southern rust we don't see that a lot 
another one that we haven't had a whole lot of experience with in our geography is uh, frog eye leaf spot and actually have found a little bit of that out in the field. And the reason I bring that up is uh, we've already got documented resistance to uh, strobilurin products, so those preventatives. And in that case, we really need to have a uh, premix of a strobilurin and a triazole in the mix to help manage it. And from a white mold, sudden death perspective, uh, just starting to get a few reports and some pictures sent to me of some sudden deaths starting to show up in pockets. Uh, a lot of those fields, uh, you know, I have a past history. We're managing with uh, the right varieties, you know, with good SDS scores, as well as uh, treating with Ilevo to help keep that particular disease in check. But much like any of the other management tools that we got, there's uh, no silver bullet that's going to cure all of our woes and merely tools to help uh, increase some of the level of protection that we're looking at out there. And from a white mold uh, viewpoint, very minimal at this point. I can go out and find it in about uh, any uh, geography north of I-80 uh, every year. But, you know, some of those 30-inch rows that took forever to really shade shut, and obviously it depends on the... Uh, bushiness of the bean and how quick we get to canopy and create that micro environment uh, and how bad that disease can spread but uh, some of the narrow rows and with the cooler nights you know we've had some hot days but cooler nights and adequate moisture uh, yeah don't turn your back on it uh, a lot of the approach applications to help manage it have been uh, well done. That disease infects the plant beginning at, at that R1 or beginning bloom phase. And once we get a little bit further down the road, we're pretty much uh, done from a management perspective with a fungicide-like approach. Sure, sure. Yeah, and it, yeah, white mold's always, always an interesting one. And I think, you know, a lot of areas, of course, those northern latitudes, uh, you, you tend tend to see it more regularly, but uh, it kind of feels like in that R1 time frame we had enough, uh, you know, excessively hot temperatures that really tends to to hold that infection back a little bit, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I'm I'm a little bit surprised that we haven't seen it. And of course, this is about the time of year when it can show up, but. Uh, you know, when we, when you start looking at, at beans getting planted earlier and earlier and, and there were a lot of beans that kind of sat in the cold ground for a while this year. And, and, uh, I'm kind of surprised we haven't seen more, more sudden death. Uh, it's interesting that we're not seeing too much of it yet. Right. Right. Yeah. Just like I said, isolated pockets and, uh, yeah, that, I mean, we're not in the clear completely yet, but, uh, Make sure you're monitoring your fields uh, as we continue to finish this crop out. Sure, absolutely. Let's uh, let's kind of shift gears and talk a little bit about insects. Um, we'll go back to corn here. Uh, probably the the one of, of biggest concern uh, right now would be corn rootworm. Um, haven't heard a lot about corn rootworm this year. Starting to starting to see 
some uh, excuse me some beetles showing up. But what are you what are you seeing and hearing from a corn rootworm standpoint? You bet. Thanks for asking, Troy. Uh, yeah, obviously, corn rootworm beetle or corn rootworm is uh, definitely top of mind. Particularly uh, the further north we go, it seems like we've got uh, more corn on corn acres in that particular neck of the woods, and that is uh, a pest that much like weeds have done has the ability to really <clears throat> excuse me adapt to a lot of our management uh, practices and to this point a lot of those fields that uh, quite honestly i thought were somewhat train wrecks last year from a adult population from a uh, uh, root feeding perspective uh, we went back and did some different management techniques, added a granular fungicide, high rate seed treatment insecticide as part of that offering and really trying to up our management game and throw uh, everything that we got at that particular pest. And so far I've been pleased. Now that's not to say that, uh, you know, populations are going down and, and life is grand and we can move on. Uh, I had a rep in the uh, Walnut area that had sticky traps out and there's definitely still uh, adults out there as of, you know, a couple weeks ago in uh, some pretty significant numbers. So as we continue to plan for 23 and beyond, I think uh, that is definitely going to have to stay top of mind and we're going to have to utilize, you know, the best, uh, BMPs that we got and might even have to consider rotating some of those fields out as we move forward. Um, but really, I think we're, we're in a pretty decent position. And the other thing that kind of comes into play is uh, whether it be early stresses that compromise some of those root systems, or if we, we do have high populations, they all have to take a bite before they die. And if we're compromised roots and we don't have enough moisture to really get us that root regeneration, uh, things can go, look much worse than what they really are. But similar to the beans being slow in that cold, wet conditions, uh, if we don't have moisture and we got bugs out there and we don't have roots that are actively growing and regenerating, uh, can look a lot worse than than what it might actually be if we had that had that ample moisture. Sure, uh, and you you mentioned you know their their ability to adapt, uh, and and we've we've talked about this uh, with folks in in earlier uh, podcast episodes. But just kind of a quick reminder to everybody: there's uh, when we when we think about resistance development and and adaptation, there's a couple different variants of the of the corn rootworm. One is the the western corn rootworm soybean variant, which basically is a is a beetle that lays its eggs in soybean fields rather than corn fields. So when you rotate out, um, uh, rotate soybeans, it it, uh, it it doesn't it doesn't help you eliminate the population because they they go ahead and lay their eggs in that soybean field. Right. Uh, and then the the second one is the northern corn rootworm extended diapause, which is basically a, a beetle that. 
it, it lays its eggs in the cornfields, but those eggs lay dormant for a year or even longer. Uh, and, and so you can rotate out to soybeans, uh, the eggs don't hatch, and then the following year you come back to corn and, and the eggs hatch. And, and so, um, you know, ro- rotation-resistant variants. Have you, have you seen or, or have you dealt with any, either of those variants in your geography, or have you been hearing anything about them? Oh, I've definitely been hearing about them. <clears throat> I, I wouldn't say that it's uh, been uh, specifically documented or proven, but I have seen uh, more fields, you know, if it's second year corn, you know, and if, if we've been throwing beans in that rotation, it definitely makes me wonder in some of these cases with uh, – some of the the root feeding that we are seeing some of the number of uh beetles that we're seeing and highly uh intense scouting practices you know trying to figure out what fields to rotate what fields to uh go ahead and try to raise corn on corn and uh it's it's ever changing and you know not only do we have the different variants but depending on what the environment provides from a survivability standpoint really has an impact on what we're seeing out in the field, whether that be uh, rotated acres or, you know, second year corn in the fact that we got the variants, but then we also got some that might've laid their eggs deeper in that soil profile because uh, maybe dry weather, some, big open cracks and things like that that you know we're always trying to figure out when that peak hatches and uh and get some levels and some monitoring done then and it's somewhat a moving target i mean we base it off of gdus but uh you know there's no no calendar date that says okay you got to be uh really monitoring now to help gauge going into the following crop year yeah, definitely. Environment is huge. As a matter of fact, one of the one of the best uh, best helps you can have with with rootworm control is is uh, you know really big soaking rains in in June when they're hatching. They're they're not very good swimmers, and those those newly hatched larvae uh, will not survive uh, in in overly saturated soils. And and we actually we haven't had that for a couple of years. Uh, Northern Illinois last year was pretty dry and. And we saw really good survivability of those larvae, and so so yeah, it's um, uh, definitely definitely the those environmental uh, env- environmental uh, conditions really play a, a big part of of what kind of pressure we're going to see with corn rootworm. You bet. So uh, much like much like those those storms coming up, storm systems out of the Gulf blowing southern rust up, they. Uh, they also tend to blow, uh, carry carry corn earworm moths uh, along with them, and and I have not really heard much about corn earworm uh, this year. Have you have you been seeing any corn earworm popping up? No, I have not, and it's uh, that's another pest that uh, very unpredictable. But I think keep a keep a close watch out for it every year because it can definitely do some damage. Sure. Swing back to soybean real quick. Uh, this time of year, we don't have quite as much to worry about, but we do. We are seeing probably some increasing populations of stink bug. 
Um, of course, Beanleaf Beetle shows up again. Um, but but from what I've been, we had a little Japanese beetle in pockets, uh, but but um, it doesn't seem you know doesn't seem to have been too bad. What are you seeing from a soybean insect uh, perspective? You bet. Yeah, probably the biggest one that I was, uh, or biggest two insects that I was really monitoring for and still continue is uh, Japanese beetle that you referenced earlier pretty uh isolated uh not a a huge population that i saw in compared to years past uh did see some uh bean leaf beetle early on and i would have to say that for those growers that did not do a fungicide plus insecticide application uh you know at that r2 r3 timing uh, to not turn their back on those fields because uh, last year I had one farm in that Geneseo area that got hailed on. That particular grower decided I'm not going to spend any more money on that particular crop and was one of the only ones in the area that did not get a uh, insecticide treatment at that R3 timing. And that was like a magnet for a bean leaf beetle. And when you're driving down the road at, you know, 50, 60 mile an hour and it sticks out like a sore thumb, you know, you've got some uh, intense pressure. So continue to monitor for, uh, for bean leaf beetle in particular and uh, make those treatments as necessary. And like always, we need to make sure we follow uh, all label directions and restrictions and respect those uh, pre-harvest intervals as we continue to get closer and closer to that harvest. Yep. And I think the other thing we'll do is keep our fingers crossed that uh, soybean gall stays west of the Mississippi. Absolutely. Oh, well, anything else that we haven't covered, Jason, that you're seeing out there that you want guys to be aware of? Well, I, not that I can think of right now. Uh, we got, uh, like I said earlier, a lot of potential. Uh, obviously, corn is a little bit easier to kind of gauge minus, uh, you know, kernel size and test weight, but uh, get a pretty good indication rows or kernels round and, uh, and kernels long. But uh, we got a ways to go. We're a ways from the finish line. And... The potential's there, so don't turn your back on it. Continue to make those good management decisions and uh, just hope that we get some continued timely rain to finish this crop out, and I think we're going to be in uh, pretty dang good shape. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I agree. I think we've got great yield potential just based on the kernel counts and, and pollination that, that I've seen compared to where we were at this time last year. Um, I really, really like what I'm seeing. So feel, feeling pretty good uh, going into going into grain fill here. Uh, well, and the, you know the other thing is, uh, it seems like every year with uh, weather extremes and things like that, Troy, we always end up with one of those gut checks. And when I talk gut checks, I talk uh, that weather event that impacts some geography in my trade territory aka a wind event that yep. uh, ha has a tendency to really mess uh mess our potential up and i think by doing the right thing applying fungicide 
yes, you're looking for top end yield, but uh, don't lose sight of what you're going to gain from a standability and a harvestability standpoint. Because uh, going across that field at uh, one, one and a half mile an hour makes for a very long, grueling day. So we're doing the right thing, but uh, we do not have any control over what uh, Mother Nature does from an environmental perspective. Yeah, we always we always uh, keep those fingers crossed that we can get through the month of August without a absolutely storm event. So, well, Jason, again, thank you very much, Jason McVicker, field agronomist with Pioneer Corteva. We really appreciate you taking the time to uh, share your insight and let us know what uh, what you've been seeing out there in the field. I appreciate it, Troy. Thanks again for the opportunity. You bet, and thanks to everyone for listening. And we will see you next time on the next episode of the Illinois Agronomy Update. Thank you.